0: Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African-American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades, from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams.
1: And welcome to What's at Stake on Black Politics Today broadcast. I want to thank you for joining us again today and uh, sharing with us tonight as uh, we try to uh, highlight, share, and talk about all the things that are happening across uh, this country <coughs> and a number of the states. <coughs> uh, it's just so much happening. There's so much going on. It, it, it's you know, you just gotta take a deep breath. Sometimes I just gotta exhale and just breathe because it it it, it ticks me off, it pisses me off, it angers me a whole lot. Um, just from every angle, every avenue, every aspect of just stuff, just happening, just stuff. So, so you know, it's 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 that pause that I need to take for each show where I say, "Thank you, Lord, for allowing me to host this show." allow me to have this broadcast um thank you for your favor thank you for your grace thank you for your mercy because clearly i think um it's it's the thing that kind of helps me uh remember and then you turn back around and you think again and you say mm, yeah okay all right and you you want to know exactly like what to do or or what to say or how to do it or how to say it's just one of those things where you you sit there and you question and you ask yourself, what's really going on? And as I like to say, it, what the hell is going on? Why is it? Um, it's just crazy. It's crazy. So um, I have to I have to pause and say thank you. I have to pause and say, you know, this is you know, this is you know, grace and, and mercy. To God, just for 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 the for the broadcast, for the for the platform, for the ability to to reach out and um, and uh, uh, share with you and, and invite you in, and and you guys, you know, support and text call or do what you have to do to to show your support and uh, join us each and every week. So it's it's a matter of thank you um, for everything for everything. It's uh, it's it's you know grace. It's grace, and uh, I appreciate it. Um, last week I, at the end of my show, I shared, um, the, the, um, what I called was a Ted talk, um, from Kimberly Jones and, uh, it was, uh, I think her uh, YouTube clip is entitled how we can win. Um, but it came on the backdrop or the heels of Trevor Noah, um, talking about, um, the, the George Floyd incident and what's happening there and how things are, are responding and, and how people were responding and talking about the the protesters <clears throat> and, uh, and how the people were protesting, how they're writing, and, and then how people perceive all of that. And so he said it's like, you know, life is like dominoes. I think that's what he said. He said it was like, you know, it, it's like a domino effect. You know, one piece gets knocked down. And then another piece gets knocked down, and yet another piece gets knocked down. And then, although I, I was, when I was listening to it, I was thinking about it, I said, you know what, he's absolutely right. Because although you realize that in life, you know, you often forget that the very real thing is that sometimes life is like a domino effect. And, and we've all experienced it. It's that thing, you know, you know, one thing goes wrong, and then another thing goes wrong and another thing goes wrong, and we start yelling out, like, if one more thing, you know, or or as we say, it's like, if it ain't one thing, it's another. And we say, if one more thing goes wrong, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that, and then that thing happens, and you're like, oh, God, and then you're sitting out there, again, you know, dealing with that issue. Um, and that's precisely what America is dealing with right now. I mean, think about it. First, we had the coronavirus, right, and the deaths that are associated with that, and then it was the lockdown, which led to the massive layoffs and unemployment skyrocketing, and then we and then that impacted the economy, and then we get the word of another death of an unarmed black man at the hands of two white men while he's jogging. then shortly after that, we get told on Memorial Day weekend or, or that Saturday or Sunday or when it was of this white woman in the park threatening a black man minding his own business minding his own black business knowing what he wanted to do bird watch whatever it was, walk through the park and she threatens him by saying I'm going to call the police on you and I'm going to tell the police that a black man is threatening me and Trevor talked about that and he said you know at that moment she realized just the power that she had and what she could use to then be able to tell um, him, you know, uh, Christopher, I think his name is, is uh, Christopher Cooper, I believe it was, um, or Christian Cooper, that uh, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to share my story with them because I'm a white woman. I can say to them, this is what's happening and they're going to come and they're going to get you and they're going to arrest you or they're going to do something to you. And um, when Trevor talked about that, it, it's one of those things where you you kind of like really think about it. You're like, mm, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And then finally, that same day or, uh, well, Monday, I don't know if, if Amy Cooper happened on Monday, but then Monday was George Floyd where we watched for eight minutes and 46 seconds while this cop really three of them, places his knee on his neck, and I mean so nonchalantly keeps it there, adjusts himself, makes himself comfortable on his neck. He's losing his balance. He steadies himself by putting his hand up on the on the on the vehicle. But then he kind of like rocks back and forth and gets his knee right back up in there and presses down on his neck. And you can actually see him pressing down on it. Not raising up, not let. it wasn't like it was a restraint. It was a a, a, a mode of, of pressing. So it wasn't like he was just trying to keep him there because he was moving, because we all saw he wasn't moving. But he was pressing it and, and keeping him down. And it was like, what's going on? As As George sat there and cried out and yelled out, look man, I can't breathe, I'm I'm not doing anything, I'll get up, you know. I'm not moving, I'm not resisting, don't kill me, I can't breathe. And then you hear the cops in the background, one of the cops in the background say, well get up and get in the car. And if you notice, if you remember, that was before any of us saw that second video from the backside where we didn't realize there were two more cops sitting on him just like the first cop was. And so when he's sitting there saying to him, uh, get you know, get on the, um, uh, get up and get in the car, and he's like, I can't. You're on me. You got to get off me. They're mocking him. They're laughing at him. And that's precisely how we I, I see this whole thing where one thing after another after another after another, and then um, uh, Trevor talked about the social contract that that you know we're so intrinsically supposed to abide by that contract only applies to white folks because that contract for black folks has been broken and so it was like you gotta be kidding me that makes sense that's real and so last week when I ended my show with um, what I called like I said the TED talk uh, of Kimberly Jones um, she expressed herself like perfectly in the way I would have probably done it if you guys would allow me to cuss on this show um, and exactly how it's, you know, the way people will um, uh, target us and say that, you know, the way we do things, of course, is much different than the way other people do things. Um, And it's like, well, why, why are Black folks looting and tearing down their community? And and, and why, are, why are we doing this to, to our community? And Kim said it real cool. She said, we don't own the damn community. We're not tearing down what we own. We're tearing down what you own, what you have been pressing and putting us in and where you've been placing us. So it's not our community. It's not a part of our community. Because we don't, this isn't it. Especially in Minneapolis. I mean in Minneapolis especially not their community because home ownership I think is like 20%. You know, uh compared to 70% for white folks. 20%. And then the the ability for their um care and jobs and everything else. I mean, it is ridiculous in Minneapolis. It's ridiculous and many of you uh when I had the council member on uh here um uh, right after right after the uh uh, murder it was it she was um he was um talking about you know the the poverty rate and everything that's going on in Minneapolis and in that area and just how devastating how bad it is um and so we're waiting for tonight I'm I'm waiting for uh Kimberly Jones to to give us a call in uh she's going to be here for a, a brief moment tonight and then before she has a, another event that she has to do, another interview she has to do. But I'm certainly excited and glad to have her. Um, she is an NLACP uh, Image Award uh, awardee. She's an um, author. She's the author of I'm Not Dying With You Tonight. Uh, she also hosts the Atlanta chapter of the popular well-read Black Girl Book Club, um, and uh, as well as uh, being a part of... Um, Uh, the Young Adult Truth or Dare author panel uh, at the Decatur Book Festival. She has worked in film and television with trailblazers such as Tyler Perry, Whitney Houston, and 8 Ball and MJG. Currently, she is uh, writing uh, young adult novels. Uh, She is a director and a feature film uh, um, director or filmmaker, and uh, she's doing some uh, cutting-edge things on on the, the web. And she has a web series. Uh, she lives in Atlanta and she uses often um speaking regularly in Atlanta, in the Atlanta market, about what's happening and, and what's going on in the success and, and decline. I also wanted to talk to her about, or we're also going to talk to her about uh the recent death there in Atlanta, uh of the brother that's in um um uh, the Wendy's parking lot, yeah, that that died, that was uh, shot in the back and killed. Um and uh on uh, this past weekend so we're going to be discussing that as well uh once we get Kimberly uh on the line but more importantly just as 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 we wait for that and, and and deal with some of the things i was briefly and i and i didn't get a chance to listen to it fully but i was briefly listening to Candace Owens uh, Candace Owens is the conservative talk talk uh talk show host or talk show critic or whatever the hell she is um She, I only had a little bit. I only had a little bit. And like she said, it's probably going to make you mad. Yeah, it is going to make me mad because you're stupid as hell. So for those of you, I'm sorry that, you know, I I had, I played Kim last week. You you, you didn't yell at her. So don't yell at me after this show. But I I played a a brief part of it. I was listening to it briefly. And she was uh, speaking about, um, a particular author, and I can't remember the, the name of the author, um, but she was talking about, and, and based on the way she was talking, I, I'm assuming he's white, but she said um, that, and in fact, I'm almost certain that he is white, because one of the things she's talked about or she said was that white people are Jewish people Um white and jewish or white or jewish um however you want to categorize it or say it um they don't support the people at the bottom of their society they only deal with the people at the top of their society and she said she was saying that uh and th- i think this was this was um her facts on george floyd and i and i really wanted to try to get to it and i, I didn't have time to really listen to it or or, or Pay attention to it, unfortunately, because I really I wanted to share and and ask Kim about it and and see if she had seen it. But she said black people or the uh, black race are the only ones who will defend the 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 you know their bottom of the barrel, if you will, Uh, you know people who um, commit crimes and people who do bad things. We're the only culture community uh, that will defend. Uh, them rather than leave them at the bottom and and move on. And see, this, <laughs> I don't know if some of you remember the show I had when I had Dr. Uh, Wilmer Leon on. <clears throat> and Dr. Wilmer Leon and I had uh, um, a gentleman call in. And he, he's one of my regular call ins. He, he's conservative, African-American, older gentleman, a senior uh, veteran uh, out of Missouri, <clears throat> And he listens, and he calls in pretty regularly. And uh, when the when when we had gotten off the phone, or when he, his call had ended, and his questions had ended, uh, Wilmer noted that for conservatives, their thing is self. Their their thing is all about individualism and their self. And they, you know, that's how they get the whole mentality: pick you up by our, or, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, they're not in a community uh, together unless you're all together. Unless if you're not in my income bracket, if you're not in my social status, if you're not in my cult clique or whatever it is, you don't matter to me. And that's why it's so hard for me to understand how all these black folks are running to the conservative party and to Trump or to the Republican party and Trump and all this other stuff, because our culture, our nature as a culture, as a community, as a race, is family. It's, you know, helping out extended family members. That's who we are and that's what we do. Because it was only the family that we had when we was in the bottom of the slave ship, when we were in the uh, uh, plantation house, when we were out in the field picking cotton for they white asses, when we were doing all that, it was only the family we had. Why do you think they created a point where they would split up the family? So when they were selling us, they would take the father one way, the mother the one way, the kids the other way, because they understood that that was the one thing that kept us strong and kept us together. And that was where our strength came from. But they could break us down if we didn't. So to have a penny-ass, simple-ass little heifer like this right here talk about we're supposed to leave those who are, are vulnerable, who fell on hard times, who did this, who did that, we're supposed to leave them at the bottom and forget them and only take the people at the top? Oh, and I'm trying to only listen to maybe two, two minutes and 47 seconds. I'm about to pimp slap this heifer. I can, Oh, and if I listen to the next 15 minutes of it, you better believe that when I reach out and try to have her ass on this show. Oh Jesus, help you. Because I, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be, oh, oh, it's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. It's going to be so bad. I I don't know why (laughs) I would even try to put myself through it to have her ass on here. But, but for some reason, I, I just feel like I should. I I feel like I should. And um, it's, it's one of those things where I am clearly, clearly not sure as to why you would then say or believe or even have yourself in a point where you're telling people we need to leave them at the bottom of the barrel. We don't need to pick them up. We don't need to talk about this. And, and I'm, I'm tempted right here to to play a little clip, and I'm going to take a break real quick um, as we get ready to um, try to get uh, Kim on the line. Um, I'm going to take a break, but, yeah, I, I think I may play a little clip because I, I need to know if this is going to hit you the same way it hit me um, and, and what she said and how she said it. Um, let me do that. I'm going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: If you're not facing your mortgage issues, this can be the most terrifying sound in the world. It means you've fallen behind. It means hope is dwindling. It means you're another call closer to losing your home to foreclosure. Fortunately, there's hope. If you need real help and guidance, call 1-888-995-HOPE. That's 1-888-995-4673. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the ad council in this station.
2: put this on top of the minivan we're only going for two weeks you want me to back the kitchen sink too well is there room hey you guys you going on vacation who's that i don't know because we're planning on robbing your house tonight all right i'm calling an alarm service Wouldn't it be great if you could be warned of life's risks? If you have diabetes, you can. There's a simple blood test called A1C that can help measure your risk of complications from diabetes. Why is it important? Because more than 600 people every day die from diabetes and its complications. If your A1C is above seven, your doctor can show you how to lower it. If you have diabetes, know your risk. Know your A1C. Ask your doctor, or for more information, go to www.diabetesa1c.org or call 1-877-TEST-A1C. Brought to you by the American Diabetes Association, Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation International, and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social economic and political impact on the african-american community so join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143 now back to your host kelly michael williams
1: Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516 516- Five nine zero zero one four three. I want to welcome to the broadcast now uh, Ms. Kimberly Jones uh, she is an author as I stated earlier author filmmaker NAACP image awardee uh, she is also the host of the Atlanta chapter of the popular well-read black girl book club as well as the infamous and viral sensation uh, YA truth or dare uh, author panel author's panel at the Decatur Book Festival Kim Burley uh, welcome to the show
3: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
1: I appreciate you uh, taking the time out and joining us uh, tonight because uh, I I played your clip at the end of my show last week. And um, uh, I had, I listened to it before then, but then I, I played the clip and uh, I, I started getting uh, text messages saying, send it to me. Where is it? Uh, who is it? What's going on? <laughs> um, and uh, as I was uh, doing my introduction, I was talking about how uh, Trevor Noah had had talked about that contract, but how you so eloquently grabbed it, harnessed it, and broke it down so that everyone in our community can actually understand exactly what the hell he was talking about. If they had no you know, any reason not to understand it, you broke it down so mm-hmm. we could all understand exactly what it meant and what it was. So, if 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 it wasn't something that you saw beforehand, what sparked that interview that you did? Uh, to react to that question about the social contract
3: so the interesting is I was doing some there's a documentary filmmaker named um David Jones, no relation people always ask we related um he had we had worked together before, and he asked me he had been recording things from the unrest and he asked me if I would come out with him that day and kind of you know do some interviews do like some man on the street kind of stuff with him and I told him fine and we spent the whole day out there we were out there while people were cleaning up and then rolled on into um when people started protesting again but during the cleanup It kind of struck me because I had several times in my community and Bankhead, like, tried to put together some cleanups. I had gotten organizations to donate bags and trash, you know, brooms and all of this stuff in the city to bring out a dumpster um, so we could clean up our neighborhood. And I could not hardly get any volunteerism. Like, I might get three or four people, which means we could only get two or three blocks done. Um, And so I was out downtown in a, you know, in an area that does not have, you know, by and large black owned businesses. And there were all of these African American people out there cleaning up. And we were interviewing them and we're asking them like, you know, what brought you out today, that kind of thing. And they all had different reasons as to why they were cleaning up. But it struck me it struck me, and it really, like, bothered me to my soul that it's like when I'm trying to clean up our community, I can't get any unprompted. These people have come out, spent their own money to get things, to get graffiti off the wall and all of this stuff to clean up a community where we don't own anything, where we don't own anything. And mm-hmm. so I was so upset, and I just started talking, and David had his camera out, and he turned the camera on me and captured that moment.
1: And it was a moment. I, 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 you get like I get on this show. And sometimes I will have callers call in and they will say some crazy stuff. As I was, I was talking to my audience before you called in about a guy that calls in from Missouri, sometimes uh conservative and we have dialogue and I don't, I don't necessarily, I love him watching the show. I love him calling in. I don't necessarily want to debate with him, but I just want to understand. Um, but mm-hmm. a lot of times when you have that, it's like, there's certain things that just hit that nerve that really just take you off. And uh, yeah. I loved how you brought it back to the beginning of slavery and why we were brought here in the first place because of economics and how this, um, and it bothers me as well because see white folks and some black folks always want to say, get over slavery. Uh, when you, you know, you, you were here. You it's over with. It's it's done with. You know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. All those things, um, and it's like, nah. Because of everything that has happened, you're trying to tell me to get over something after you broke me, beat me, and made had me make you wealthy and rich. But now you right. don't want to do that. You know, I, I'm not in this position to be able to 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 do what you did. It's sort of that thing like you. Right. you got the when we were slaves, we had that sign. We will work for food because that's how we get. And half right. of the food, we were growing ourselves. It, it wasn't right. from the big house. It was the food we had ourselves. So when people say that, get over it, what do you say to them?
3: I say that if people have the mentality that we should get over it, then they don't understand the ripple effects of both slavery and Jim Crow. I was, I was telling a friend a story the other day. I said, you know, you think about black mothers. Before any child in- enters a store, I don't care where you are. If you're in Arizona, if you're in Illinois, your mother tells you the same thing. When we go in this store, don't ask for anything. Don't touch anything. Keep your hands to yourself, all of that. We don't even recognize that that is rooted in Jim Crow, that what would happen is you could take your child in a store, they could break something, or they could just pick up something and handle something, and people would decide because a black child handled it that it was no longer any good and you needed to pay for it. And if you couldn't pay for it, then it could escalate. It had often would escalate to a situation situation to where someone from your family could be lynched that night so black mothers didn't have the space for their kids to be kids so they had to be very harsh on them and make sure that they understood that they could not handle anything when they walked into the store now fast forward My mother told us that when we walked into the store, don't touch anything, don't pick anything up, keep your hands to yourself, don't ask for anything because that's what her mother told her. And then I had to stop myself when I had my son from doing the exact same thing because it's this generational information that's passed down that we may not even know the root of it. And that there are these cultural traumas that we continue to pass now. And so, and that's not just true of, that's just one example, but that's not just true of things that happened with Jim Crow. That's true of even the wealth that was built. When you think about a company like Brooks Brothers Suits, who people are still purchasing their suits and the descendants of those founders are still making money, but people don't realize that Brooks Brothers made all of their original money because they had a niche market of dressing slaves. All of the coachmen, the, the, The the servants in the home who had to be dressed a certain way were dressed by Brooks Brothers. So if you are still accumulating generational wealth from slavery, then you have to be honest about the fact that we accumulated a generational debt.
1: That's right. That's right. And that's powerful for, for those of you who are listening to realize and understand exactly what she's saying, and that's why getting over it isn't a simple option of just saying, okay, and I'm gonna keep on walking. It doesn't work that way. Right. What was some of the, when, when I was, I was going into this thing with uh, Candace Owens, I didn't hear her whole clip um, on George Floyd, but I was just talking about before you came on about the, the two minutes that I heard about her um, saying that uh, we're the only uh, culture, the only race that you know, worries about the least of ours, the, our, our bottom of the barrel. But you know, white folks and her conservative friends and bells, they don't worry about the bottom. They only worry about the topping, and and they deal with the top. And I said to myself, that is our community, our culture. When we were in the in the on the on the plantation, that's all we had was our family. That's why they've always pitted to try to split us up and separate our family. That the family was what kept us strong, kept us together, and what we always go back to. I mean, we think about all the Black movies or Black shows, it's always circled around some type of family in our community and culture. What, is it, what does it say when you have someone African American, conservative or not, but says that we need to leave the least of ours behind? And I'm asking myself, are they really Christian?
3: right you couldn't be right because god worried about everybody and he and he used the least of them and the least of them today could be the greatest of them tomorrow the amount of people who have come from nothing who've come from the you know who've come from the bottom and become successful and then at the end of the day it's not even about success uh and financial success we're all human beings and everybody deserves to be treated as such. And the thing about it is she's saying, well, other cultures don't do that. Well, just because someone else does something doesn't mean it's the correct thing to do. I think that that's one of the things that, um, that I tried to express even in my last nine when I said they're lucky that we're looking for equality and not revenge. To me, that was reflective of the fact that African Americans have been exceptionally forgiving um, despite the atrocities that have been performed against us. If we didn't have that loving, godly spirit, then <laughs> revenge is exactly what we'd be looking for. So people should be grateful that we have this generosity and grace that we offer to the world. And we've always taken care of the least of them. That's what we've done. And just because another culture doesn't do it does not mean, first of all, this notion that everything that we do is wrong and that everything that somebody else does is right is ridiculous. It's a ridiculous sentiment, and it's unfortunate that that's the way that she sees it. And the other thing is, as she says that as as it relates to George Floyd, at the end of the day, I don't care what he does. An officer does not get to be judge, jury, and executioner in the street. Even if he was doing something wrong, everybody is due their day in court and 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 we are this is supposed to be a country where you are supposed to receive your due process whatever it was he was doing whatever any of those men were doing the the sentence for those crimes is not death so exactly. so I don't I don't even need an emotional response to it I can give I can give her a logical one the sentence for those crimes is not death thing that we're protesting it's not even necessarily that we're trying to make a martyr of people I don't even think people would would call him a martyr but he is a catalyst and you can't deny that,
1: right? Right. And so now, when you look at it, when you when we we see that the the social contract has been broken, um, do we leave it broken? Do we create our own, or do we just ignore its very existence? What what do we do now, uh, understanding and looking at that that aspect of the social contract?
3: Um, I think it's multi-tiered, right? Because I think that the I think the 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 disparities that have you know affected our community are in so many different components that we have to like, unpack it all and start to address them all. You know, we have not had fair access to healthcare. We have not had fair access to housing. There is price gouging in our communities by the people who move into our communities and, and and open stores. There is, we, I mean, it would take years to unpack all of the, the economic um, disadvantages that we've been set forth and that's part of why I talked about what happened in Tulsa and what happened in in Rosewood. Sure. So that was just two. I mean, we could get into what happened with Freedman's Bank. We can get into what happened <clears> to <the> sharecroppers <throat> in Florida. Um, we <clears throat> can get into the fact that Central Park used to be one of our communities called Seneca Village and they pulled out okay. the whole eminent domain trick to get us out right. there and about like 300 people homeless, I mean, I could name you just off the top of my head, you know, about 25 instances in which this happened during a time when we were building, attempting... To catch up, if you will, in the Monopoly game and building our wealth. And it it went beyond just um, I'm going to discourage you from doing it. It went flat out to I will murder you and I will murder many of you if that if that takes if that's what it takes. I will rob many of you. I mean, they got they stole 50 million dollars from people. Through Freedman's Bank, do you know how much fifty million dollars could have developed into by now? Almost, a, you know, nearly a hundred years later, and so that's why a lot of old black people don't trust banks and put their banks in, put their money in mattresses because of what happened right. with with the Freedman's Bank. So that the of just so much there's just so much I think that that has been the issue is that there's so much that most people don't even know where to start so I think that as you know as community organizers as activists as politicians as makers and world changers we're all going to have to get very specific about a thing and tackle our thing because I get emails every day and DMs every day about so many different things about you know prison reform about police brutality about food insecurity about all of these. Things and I'm like, oh Lord, y'all, I'm just one person, I can't tackle all these things.
2: But I think, <laughs> that, we're,
3: I think that we're each gonna have to take on, you know. Uh, <laughs> economics I got that and this person has health care and that person over there they're going to deal with food insecurity and that person is going to deal with price gouging and that person is going to deal with home owners, land ownership and we're going to share and pool our resources and if you need some, the, the economic people y'all going to have to help the the land people and we're going to have to work in a collective in that way so that we could tackle all of the things that are that are just not right in our community and that again have been a ripple effect from years and years and years and years and years years of a white supremacy you know mindset in this country
1: it it really has been and I mean you you touched on something that this past week I was I was thinking about when I I, I saw something came across um, my desk and it, it was the fact that a lot of times I don't think in our state legislatures and our city councils or even in, in Congress that they have people assigned or they they pay attention to like the federal agencies and all the policies that are being changed just by the stroke of a pen and different things that are going on to allow uh, environmental issues in our community, to allow um, gerrymandering, to allow so many different things. And you you touched on it, like we we have to come collectively to do it, but we have to have a group. So... Group A is handling this and Group B is handling that and Group C is handling that so that we can all tackle it. But like you said, one person, 10 people, a hundred people can't do it all at one time. We have to be able to spread right. it out to be able to use it because it's been 250 years in the making coming. and It's not going to stop in, in a year, but we can start moving in that direction. And and that's what I want to ask you about now. What what do you feel should be the next steps for black Americans to start taking uh, to move forward in a in a positive or resolute manner to achieve the quality equality after two hundred fifty years that we've been seeking.
3: Um, man, I think there's so much, but I think that now that we've we kind of raised the roof in this global way, um, and we have had we have had this. Uh, this conversation that has resounded all around the world. I think now is the space where we can ask for things that felt like taboo before. Like I personally, and I know this is very taboo. I'm like, this is, to me, this is the time to start putting together a real bill for reparation because I think that You're people right. are, and I'm hoping <clears throat> that my video was assistant in that of getting people to see the long-term effects and everything <clears throat> that happened. So I think it's the time to start making bold moves because we have the global ear. I mean, I've gotten phone calls from everybody, I've gotten phone calls from Australia, from from Great Britain, from Israel, from New Zealand, from all over the world, saying like, "I stand with you and I understand and I never understood before and like I thank you for your words because now 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 I'm seeing things in a in a way that I never saw them before and I don't think it's just me I think people like Layla Assad and Samika Maori and you know Sonya other you know other people who their voice has been elevated throughout this time I think all of it collectively. Has has caused a new awakening, but I'm like, no matter what you're talking about in our community, whether you're talking about healthcare, you know, um, all of the other things that are named, you can fix it with the money. <laughs> we can get the economics together for our right. people. We can start working on all of this other stuff.
1: Correct, right. and 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 that's it. So when you what what has been the most eye opening or empowering thing that you've witnessed or, or come about in this last two and a half weeks dealing with the the, the protest and the march? What what has been that thing that's just, like, really popped for you?
3: Um, I think one thing that really popped for me is that I have been very surprised at the diversity in the marches, both he- here in America and across the globe. I think it's the first time we've seen a, a, a global unrest at this level, and the fact that it is happening for to who are, to me, have been the most brutalized people in history, which is us. I think it's only fitting and fair that it happens at this scale. I never thought in my lifetime that I would see an unrest that was, the, you know, that had this kind of impact. But I'm also not surprised that it, did, you know, I'm not surprised by the fact that it happened on the back of a pandemic where people had to sit and be still and grapple with their own biases and grapple with their own, you know, um their own truths and and people who have been living that truth forever being like, "You know what? I got time today cuz I ain't got nowhere to go. I ain't got no job. I can get out here on a Tuesday afternoon and walk these streets." Um and so I I've I've been, you know, pleasantly surprised by that. However, I'm not going to release my hopelessness until i actually actually see actionable items because it's one thing to get out there and to march in the street it's another thing right. to vote your conscience it's another right. thing to put plans in action and i think that's what's going to have to happen next and i think another thing that's going to have to happen next is that we are going to have to be more proactive in what's happening in our government we can no longer just vote and i i definitely i support i'm a, I'm a great supporter of voting i think we should vote but guess what poor people vote and rich people lobby And so if we want to get these laws changed, if we want to get some real actionable change, then, you know, I was looking on the NAACP um, website at their annual budget, and their lobbying budget is, you know, $500,000. You can't get one bill changed
2: with that.
1: Yeah, you can't. You can't. And I I say that all the time. We're the one people do not have a lobbying apparatus. Um, LGBTQ has lobbying. Um, single mothers have lobbying, um, you know, uh, the Asian Pacific Islanders, they all have lobbying. We don't have a lobbying apparatus so we can go and put out there where we can own one contribute to put the money behind and change some laws and change some bills. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous to me. It's ridiculous to me.
2: Yeah.
3: No, that is something like, that is something that we have to focus our energy on. We have all of these millionaire, damn near billionaire um, people now that are that are African American. We have all of these people of you know different ethnicities that have, that have great wealth that are saying, what can I do to help? How can I be an ally? Well, step one is we don't need allies anymore. We've had allies for a very long time that has accomplished nothing. Dr. Brianna McDaniel says we need accomplices. We need people who are willing to risk their, risk, risk their own safety, risk their own livelihood to be in the fight with us. If you're not ready to be an accomplice, I don't need you. I don't need allies. I don't need someone to send me a text message saying, are you okay? I don't need someone to make right. a pointless post. I need an accomplice. Put your money where you mouth, your mouth is because guess what? White allies have black receipts. Are you investing in the black community? Are you spending with black businesses? Those are the things that are going to help us to get to the point where we have the economic power to fight for ourselves. And then we have to be proactive in our government. We cannot, we can no longer vote the lesser of two evils. evils we have to get right. Out. Yeah, we have to get active. We have to channel the the spirit of of ancestors like Rudy Lozano in Chicago, who actively did what he needed to do to flip those seats. The alderman seats in Chicago were all white until he went down and formed the Black and Brown Coalition and and started going to Black and Brown communities and finding out who were the community leaders, the pastors, the whoever in those communities, and work and putting the the strength of his coalition behind them and flipping them seats, flipping those seats until he got to his big win which was getting Mayor Harold Washington to become the first black mayor of Chicago. He only won because he had all of the brown vote and he had that because of what Rudy Lozano did with the black and brown coalition. We have to get that level of strategic again. Our aunt the the bus boycott was three hundred and eighty one days. We have to get that committed. It can't be exactly. one day of blackout posts on Facebook. Like we have to get that level of committed and do that level of work and we're gonna see real change.
1: That's the only way it will happen, I think, um, is is exactly the way you say it. And um, it's, it's 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 frustrating to me because I know I've done some business things where I've had brothers say, come on, let's go do some business, let's do some corporate franchising, and at the last minute they fall out. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? Why? We're sitting here trying to build something, and you guys fall out because of penny things. I mean, the investment wasn't huge. But they're just falling out for no reason at all, and the commitment is what it is. The commitment is not there for what we're trying to do. I think um, the most powerful statement that you made um, from your video was that white people better be glad that we're not that we're seeking equality and not revenge uh, for what has happened to us. And and, and I'm, I'm asking and thinking at the same time: Is it time for us to get revenge? Is it time for us to? to seek revenge and not necessarily violence, but economic or social. It's
3: definitely time for us to put ourselves as a priority, and it's definitely time for us to stop being concerned about the white gaze when we make the decisions that we make. When I made that video, I had no concern about how it was going to affect my white counterparts, neighbors, or coworkers, and I think that the reason why people were attracted to videos like mine and Tamika's and Sonya's and Layla's is because they are raw in their truth, and they're not white-facing concerned about your corporate job, which is what a lot, which is what we see from a lot of the pundits, which we see from a lot of celebrities um, and so they appreciated that raw and authentic truth and so um, like you said, not necessarily revenge in the sense of being vi- of, of performing violent acts, but definitely revenge in the sense of okay, you have continued to show us that you have no care and concern for us so there's no there's no more conversations to be had we don 't need to give you another shot we've given you four hundred years of a shot now it 's time for us to be completely self-concerned and self-consumed. And so that means that we need to circulate the black dollar in our community. We need to really, go build really. up our communities instead of trying, wanting, thinking it's better to move to the suburbs. We need to do what we need to do and argue with the cities even once we get to a certain level of money where we're okay with them raising our taxes because we know that those tax dollars are going to raise the amount of money that are going to our schools so that we have better school systems in our community. And so we just have to get really self-concerned and that that is my fear. That is my fear is that we cannot corral together in a way to do that. That is my concern because I'm just looking at some of the responses to some of what has happened, um, even the way in which even some – that's why I started my video saying I'm seeing these posts from wealthy black people is that that is my concern is that you are, you are more concerned about property damage then you are the death of a man who someone stood on his neck for almost nine minutes. Mm.
1: That's serious. What's at stake for us, Kimberly?
3: At this point, it is life or death. And COVID proved that. The fact that we are only 13% of the population, but we were a much larger percentage of COVID cases, shows you how economics and health disparagement affect our people. And if we don't realize that in every situation where there is someone to sacrifice, they will sacrifice us, and therefore that's why we have to be self-contained, then we will perish.
1: We certainly will. We certainly will. I want to thank you, Kimberly. I I know you have an eight o'clock, so I want to be respectful of your time and and, and making sure you get there on time. But I want to thank you so much. I definitely want to bring you back. And uh, we are starting a a summer series where we're going to be talking about social issues, economic issues, and political issues. So I'm certainly going to reach out to your people and uh, try to schedule that. It's going to be on, on Monday nights, every other Monday night or something like that. We're working out the schedule because we want to push exactly everything you're talking about up to election day. Uh, you, you, yeah. my kind of sister, because you think in the same way I'm thinking about exactly what it is. And um, I'm calling, uh, I, I have a nonprofit called It's About Us. So, it, mm-hmm. our summer series is going to be It's About Us. It's the Black Reset. And I think we need to have a Black awesome. Reset. And uh, so, sure. I, I am certainly want to uh, have you a part of that because you're a powerful sister in everything you're doing. And I love the rawness because my folks don't like me cussing on my show, but I love the fact that you do it.
2: So
1: <laughs> I'm gonna say I'm like, look, we gotta say what we gotta say, and if that's the way we gotta say it, right. that's the way we gotta say it. So I don't care. But I always get these right. texts and tweets afterwards, like you know that you shouldn't be posting <laughs> like that. Look, look, the hell with it. If I gotta say it, I gotta say it. Um, right, got but right. certainly you I want I want to get hear you back me. and do that. So we're gonna be in touch. We're gonna be in contact and um, and and have you there. But I I definitely believe that we have to do it collectively, we have to pull it together, and we have to get money folks and non-money folks just to recognize and realize that if we don't do this collectively, I say it all the time on this show, I don't need somebody else to come in and gentrify my community for my community to be great. I don't need that to happen. But what I can do is I can find out everyone who does not own and build up so that we can buy those houses that they're renting and then that way, because they're going to sell them anyway, now we buy it as a consortium, as a collective, and we put our own people in there and help them buy that so that they now have a different mentality about it, where it's not, okay, yes, like you said, it's not my community. Now it becomes their community. And now they now right. own their community. They take care of their community. They raise their community. So now they don't have to do what people ask you. Why are they looting or why are they burning down? No, they're maintaining and they're building up right. their community. So I agree with you wholeheartedly. Thank you again, my sister. I appreciate you coming on the show. And uh Thank you. Certainly I'm to be happy to, doing to come back. Thank yes, you so sure. much.
3: Have a good night. You too, dear. Bye-bye.
1: All right, bye-bye. That was Kimberly Jones, folks. Uh, a badass woman right there. i tell you, right there. That sister, put something in you. She. Sh- if you didn't hear it, if you didn't get it, I, I don't know what you're going to do. You- you send this out when- tomorrow when the show is, is saying uh go online and uh and get the show get the uh the link the url that you're listening to right now send it out to your folks send it out to your friends let them hear it, let them listen to it because certainly um what what she said uh tonight was was amazing it was powerful and I, I I greatly appreciate her coming on i'm gonna share with you uh for those of you who may be joining us for the first time i'm gonna share with you um her um her video um the audio of her video uh that I shared last week. I, I, I really next week's probably gonna be Candace Owens. I'm I'm probably gonna do Candace Owens next week because this heifer right here has just really just hit a nerve with me. But uh uh I I'm gonna play um uh play uh what's her name? Um Kim and uh and let you listen to Kim and uh we'll go from there.
4: i I've been saying a lot of things talking of the people making commentary. Um, Interestingly enough, the ones I've noticed that have been making the commentary are wealthy black people, making the commentary about we should not be um, rioting, we should not be looting, we should not be tearing up our own community. And then there's been an argument of the other side of we should be hitting them in the pocket. We should be focusing on the blackout days where we don't spend money. Um, But, you know, I feel like we should do both. And I feel like I support both. And I'll tell you why I support both. I support both because when you have a civil unrest like this, there are three types of people in the streets. There are the protesters, there are the rioters, and there are the looters. The protesters are there because they actually care about what is happening in the community. They want to raise their voices, and they are there strictly to protest. You have the rioters who are angry, who are anarchists, who really just want to fuck shit up, and that's what they're going to do regardless. And then you have the looters. And the looters almost exclusively are just there to do that, to loot. Now, people are like, what did you gain? Well, what did you get from looting? I think that as long as we're focusing on the what, we're not focusing on the why, and that's my issue with that. As long as we're focusing on what they're doing, we're not focusing on why they're doing. And some people are like, well, those aren't people who are legitimately angry about what's happening. Those are people who just want to get stuff. Okay, well then, let's go with that. Let's say that's what it is. Let's ask ourselves why in this country, in 2020, the financial gap between poor blacks and the rest of the world is at such a distance that people feel like their only hope and only opportunity to get some of the things that we flaunt and flash in front of them all the time is to walk through a broken glass window and get it. They are so hopeless that getting that necklace, getting that TV, getting that change, getting that bed, getting that phone, whatever it is they're going to get, is that in that moment when the riots happen and if they present an opportunity of looting, that's their only opportunity to get it. We need to be questioning that why. Why are people that poor? Why are people that broke? Why are people that that food insecure, that clothing insecure, that they feel like they're only shot, that they are shooting their shot by walking through a broken glass window to get what they need? And then people want to talk about, well, plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at Push, where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that Black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained.
0: for listening to Black Politics Today on I for what's at stake in global politics with your host Kelly Michael Williams join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. until next time follow us on Twitter like us on Facebook and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today